Well, good morning. We survived Christmas. You guys make it? You know, they say that uh, if you go on a five to seven day cruise that most people gain an average of five to seven pounds. I didn't go on a cruise this past week, but I went back to Mississippi to Mama's house. And I got my fill of pecan pralines and pecan pie. What about you guys? Y'all didn't get any of that? Did anybody here get any pecan pie and pralines? Okay. (laughs) That's been an ongoing thing with me. I'm still trying to figure that out. I come from Mississippi. My name is Paul Han. I'm the Central Discipleship Pastor here. So I'm not Brandon Williams, the senior pastor, giving Brandon a, a little break right now. We come from Mississippi, and we say pecan. And, and I've learned that that's not correct here in the low country. And, and, you know, I went over to Savannah a few weeks ago, and I was at that little candy shop there on River Street or whatever, the front street, and I walked up to the lady. I said, I'd like four pecan pralines. And she just looked at me. And then I realized what I'd done, and uh, I, I corrected myself. So hopefully we're going we're gonna to get our lingo correct here pretty soon. We're working on it. But you, you guys give us time, okay? So give us a little grace in that. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to get started today. So bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for the service that even preceded this hour, Lord, that you did great things then. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to do a mighty work today. God, I pray as I prayed then that as we walked in these doors in a certain way, I pray that we walk out different. We walk out different people today, that you'll change us, that you'll change our hearts and our minds, Lord, that you'll um, just make us different. God, may we not leave the same way that we came in. So God, I pray that you'll speak through me today. Lord, I pray that you'll use my words. Holy Spirit, guide our conversation. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, last month, well, I'll, let me preface this. I, I am a, uh, what they call a triathlete. Some people call that crazy people. And a triathlete, I, I run, bike, swim, and I do that for fun. I do all three of those things because I get bored just running or I get bored just biking or swimming. So I do all three. And so I have to have a bicycle to do that. But last month, my Trek Madone which is what Lance Armstrong rode several years back. But my Trek Madone, my $4,500 Trek Madone was stolen from my garage. Now, I know I lost some of you just when I said $4,500 bicycle. You're thinking insane already, but you really lost, I lost you when I said that. But I want you to think about it. Trek, a, a $4,000 bike, that's expensive. There are $10,000 bikes, and I know that seems unfathomable. But it's still a whole lot cheaper than a $35,000 Ranger bass boat, right? So I'm doing pretty good. So my hobby's not that expensive. I, I try to explain to my wife that, that anyway. But my bike was stolen from my garage. So I called the police and I said, look, I've, somebody stolen my bicycle. And I told them how expensive it was and what color it was. It was red carbon bikes that trek on the side of it. And I explained all that to them, and they said, look, we'll we'll be on the lookout. We can't promise anything, but we'll we'll look out for something. I said, well, okay. And they said they'd even let the other surrounding areas know about it. 
Well, the very next day, I get a phone call, and it's from an, a police officer in Savannah. And he calls me and says, hey, um, I'm calling. I saw a report that you had had a bike stolen in Statesboro. It was a red bike, and I have just pulled over a homeless man riding a red carbon bike, and it just looked odd. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I can imagine that. So uh, he said, do you mind driving to Savannah today and verifying that this is your bike? I said, yeah, I'd be glad to. I don't have anything to do, so I'm, yeah, I want to get my bike back. So I jumped in the truck, drove to Savannah, and I got there, and I pull up, and he's still on the side of the road. He's got this guy, it's like he's pulled over a car, but it's a bicycle. <clears throat> and I pull up behind him, and I get out, and sure enough, it's my bike. And I tell the officer, he says, is this yours? I said, yeah, it's my bike. So he starts putting the guy in handcuffs. He said, look, I'm going to need you to fill out an affidavit so we can arrest the guy. And I said, hold on for a moment. And I walk back to my truck and open up the back door of my truck and I look in the floorboard and there's my bike helmet. And I get my bike helmet out and I walk back up to the officer and the thief. And I said, you know what? Instead of signing this affidavit, I want to I gift him my bike. He obviously needed a bicycle. But you know, in Savannah, if he's going to be riding, it's a city ordinance that you ride with a helmet. So I, I need to give him my helmet as well. And the guy just looked at me like, what in the world? Why would you do this? And the officer was, I've sat here this whole time for this. <laughs> he's not believing it either. He's, he's baffled that I would do it. Why in the world would you do this? This has got to be an expensive bike. You're a fool. I said, I just feel like it's the right thing to do. Well, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> but it was a great story, right? Somebody said earlier at the first server that we were going to put you on a Hallmark show because this was a great story. But if it did, wouldn't it be an incredible act of unconditional love? Man. And my computer has frozen up. Here we go. Love most likely is the most sought after Longed for, yet misunderstood word in the English language. Many people spend their entire lives in search of love. Movies do their best to portray it. Books are written about it. And songs try to explain it. Country music star Leon Rhymes says, some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender reed. Some say love, it is a razor that leaves your soul to bleed. Some say love, it is a hunger, an endless aching need. And Leanne says, love is a flower and you its only seed. The righteous brothers contend that you've lost that love and feeling. Can I stop for a moment? Most of you probably watched the movie Top Gun, haven't you? You know, Top Gun would have been a guy show if it had not been for that song. <laughs> that song, that one song turned a guy show that was about war and planes and fast stuff and motorcycles, it turned it into a chick flick, right? One song, right? 
Anyway, let's go back. So they say you've lost that love and feeling. Rock group foreigner wants to know what love is. Pat Benatar said love is a battlefield. The Beatles think all we need is love. Elvis, who is also from Mississippi, can't help falling in love. Whitney Houston will always love you, whereas Tom Jones will never fall in love again. John Legend says, love me now. <laughs> and finally, the Beaches want to know just how deep is your love. So what is love? The ancient Greek had four words to describe the range of meaning for what our word love today conveys. They used the word eros. Eros is used to express, express sexual love or the feelings of arousal that are shared between people who are physically attracted to one another. Maybe you remember this kind of love when you were dating that first or second girlfriend or boyfriend when you were around them, that excitement, that giddiness that you got. I, I remember shaking when I was trying to reach over to, to grab my, my girlfriend's hand for the first time in the, in the movie theater. It's that, it's that love that focuses on emotion or experience. The Greeks even had a god named Eros. We know this fictional God character today as Cupid. Another word for love, storge. Storge referred to the type of love shown by a parent to a child. Philea. Philea speaks of the warm affection shared between friends and is associated also with the heart. But the word we're going to be talking about today is that Greek word agape. Typically defined as self-sacrificing love. This is a love that moves people into action and looks out for the well-being of others, no matter the personal cost. This is the kind of love that God showed us when he sent his son to die for us. It's a love that focuses on the will, not the emotions or an experience. If you would, turn with me in your, your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul wrote this book. It was a letter to the church at Corinth, and he begins here speaking about love in verse 1 of 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries in all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship 
that I may boast, but I do not have love, I have nothing. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And he finishes here in 13. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Do we really understand this today? Did you hear it? He said that I can speak in unknown tongues with the gift of prophecy. I can have all the knowledge in the world. I can say to that mountain, mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. But if I don't have love, I have nothing. Church, if we don't have love as Christians, we can do all those things. We can, we can make a big show, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. See, the Apostle John got this. <clears throat> it's been said that the, near to the end of John's life that he would be asked to preach, and he only gave a one-sentence sermon. So I want you to picture this in your mind. This is... This is legend, so it's not biblical, but it, if you read into 1 John and some of the writings of John, it certainly makes sense. So picture in your mind that you're at a synagogue in the first century church, and you've got the leader of the synagogue. He's up at the, the pulpit, whatever they called it back then, and he's leading his congregation. He's talking about what God's shown him in the scriptures, but he looks out in the congregation and he sees John. John's over here. He is the one that Jesus loved. He was one of, one of Jesus' apostles, one of those that were most closest to him, and he is in their synagogue that day. He didn't know he was coming, but there he is. He looks out and he goes, people, we have a guest here today. We have a famous guest. We have one of Jesus' closest. John's here with us today. John, would you be oh so gracious and come up and, and give us a word? Would you, would you come speak to our people today? And I can imagine John, he's sitting there on his mat. And John says, sure, I'll get up. And so he gets up. Well, John's old at this time, so he's probably got this big, long, white beard. And his, 
his cloak and everything, and he, he comes around to the steps and he walks up on to the stage of the synagogue and he gets up at the pulpit and the lectern there. And I can imagine everybody in the room is moved to the front of their seat because John is obviously going to have a great word for him today. John grasps the lectern and he leans forward and he looks out amongst the people. They're waiting. He says these words. Little children love one another. And if John would have been with us today, he would have dropped the mic and would have walked back off stage to his mat. Think about those people. They were sitting there. They were waiting on John to give some great sermon. He said, little children love one another. They say that they had asked John, John, is that it? And you can imagine the people that were going, John, is that all that you have for us today? We've got like another 45 minutes before the the Methodists beat us to the restaurant, so we're okay, you can preach. And they said, is that all that you have? And John would say, you know what? If we got this one thing, then we've got it. Church, if we got this one thing, then we could get it. If we could understand this one thing, we could change the world. Think about it. If we as Christians truly loved our spouse this way. If we as Christians truly loved our families this way. I don't know about you guys, but I was at Christmas at my mama's house this week, so that meant family was with us. There's some family there that is tough for me to love. Y'all know any family members that way? Y'all avoided some of them this week, I know. I did too. It's difficult. So if we truly loved our family members this way, what if we truly loved our enemies this way? We would change the world. This church could change the world if we began loving people that way just within this body. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. John just gave us the one-sentence sermon. Let's see what he speaks about in his book of the Bible. 1 John 4, we'll start in verse 7. 7 through 12. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not Love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, let us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He goes on in in verse 16. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So as we look deeper into what the Bible says today about love, if you're taking notes today, I've got three points. And my first point is that love is a command. Love is a command. Let's look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 36 through 39. The people around him are asking Jesus questions. They said, they said Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is just like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So almost as important as loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind is loving my neighbor. Guys, my neighbor is not just the couple that's living across the street. It's not the family living next door. My neighbors are all human beings living in this world. My family, my neighbors, my friends, it's our co-workers. It's the lady working the register at Bilo. It's that student that nearly ran me over in his jacked up Chevy. It's that skinhead with piercings and tattoos. It's that Auburn fan that speared beer down my back at the ball game. Scared him. It's that homeless man begging. That Ethiopian that is starving. Our neighbor's the landlord that's complaining. Is that lesbian? A transvestite? He's the, he's the guy that votes different than me. Is that illegal immigrant? It's the Jehovah's Witness that won't leave my door. And he's the atheist. God loves us all. God loves them all. And the Bible tells us not only does he love them all, he desires for all to be saved. Guys, he commands for us to do the same. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then in verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, he says, 
And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. In other words, by the way you treat people, the way that you show love and unconditional love to those people around you that you don't know, that maybe you don't like, they're not like you, people are going to know your mind. So loving others is not an option for us as Christians. It's what we do. It's who we are. To be honest, if we feel or find it impossible to love some people, I'm sure we struggle with this. But if we find it impossible for, to love others and people that maybe are not like us, to be honest, I think we really need to question our salvation. Because the Bible tells us we love God, then we'll love others if we say we love God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew 7 that you will know them by their fruit. Guys, much of our fruit is how we show love to others. I cannot be a follower of Christ. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not be compelled to love other people. It's not possible. So love is a command. We also see, point two, that love is a sacrifice. John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's a sacrifice. Paul goes on into telling his Folks in Ephesus in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5 verse 2. He says, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Agape love is sacrificial. The physician Luke tells us in chapter 923. Now, Jesus, basically, to give you a little context, Jesus, I guess he's walking along or whatever because he mentions follow me. And he says, if you're going to follow me, then deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. And to me, I, I work well with word pictures, so I kind of get a picture in my mind. Most of you have probably also seen the movie Forrest Gump. And if you remember in Forrest Gump, there's a time in that movie where he just runs. Now remember, he just started running one day, and he kept on running. And so it was like 10 minutes of the movie, he's just running. And he's running through the desert at one point, and there's a crowd of people that are following him. They're just following him wherever he goes. He's kind of the guru of running, I guess. And so he stops. He just stops in the desert. Y'all remember this? And the people stop, and they look up at him. And one guy says, he's about to say something. And he, I think he says, I'm, I'm done running. 
But I kind of could, I kind of pictured this as Jesus. He's going through, he's walking down the path, and there's literally thousands of people following him at this point. And we know that there's thousands of people around him because in the beginning of chapter 9, he is feeding the 5,000. So he has just performed a miracle of taking a couple of fish and some loaves of bread and feeding 5,000. Actually, he fed more than that, most likely. It says 5,000 men. So he was probably had fed five, anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people because there surely would have been children, women, other people there. So he just performed this incredible miracle. He had been performing other miracles, and people were following him because of this. And so they're all following Jesus, waiting to see what he's going to do next. This is obviously, they're thinking, going to be the next king. This is the Messiah. He's fixing to set up his kingdom on earth. So we want to be right here with him. So they're following him. Wherever he goes, listen to everything he says. And I can just picture him. He, he stops. He says, hey, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Other translations basically say, hey, if you're going to call yourself my disciples, if you're going to call yourselves Christians, then deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. See, we kind of take up that pick up your cross thing out of context today because we say such things when there's a burden going on in our life. We say, well, this is my cross to carry. Well, that really wasn't the context of what Jesus was speaking. He wasn't talking about a burden right there. You see, what Jesus just said to them shocked them. They were probably astonished at what Jesus said. Matter of fact, the disciples were probably, Jesus, why did you just say that? There's thousands of people already following Jesus. Why would, you, why would you say something so harsh? Why would you tell them to die? Jesus, we're rock stars. Man, there's 20,000 people here. You see, those people that were listening that heard him say that, they knew what it meant to carry a cross. They had seen people carrying a cross. When they say, saw the guy walking down the road with a cross, it wasn't like us today seeing the guy carry the cross across America. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't like that. They saw a guy carrying a cross. Where was he going? He, was not, he wasn't going on vacation. This guy wasn't going to work. He wasn't going home for dinner. He wasn't going to plan the rest of his week. This guy was walking to his death. They saw this guy walking, carrying the cross. That guy didn't have any plans. He no longer had any hope in his life. He no longer had any plans for his future. God was going to die. So they were hearing Jesus say these things. It was harsh. He said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. And he says that to, to us today. He says, if you're going to be one of mine, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to be a believer, then, then Paul Forget about who you are. It's not about you anymore. He says, sacrifice all your hopes, all your dreams, all your wishes, all your, your 401k plans, all those things. You give them up. You surrender them for my will and my plan. And that's what he's, he calls all of us to do. Guys, to love 
sacrificially, we have to be able to put, we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to sacrifice our will. We have to put others before us. The Bible also shows us, and the third point today is that love is a perfect witness. Love is a perfect witness. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. He said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only, the, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? But be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Guys, when we finally come to the place where we begin loving others as Christ loved them, then we become more like Him, more perfect in Christ. People won't understand. It won't make sense to them. It will confuse them. And they will not understand why we choose to love when everything in the world says different. The world tells us it's about us. What's Burger King says? They tell us, have it your way, right? Because you're the king. So the world will not understand why we sacrifice ourselves for their betterment. But this love, more than an eloquent sermon or even an evangelism strategy, will point people to the Savior. John 13, 35 says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I want you to think about how this could even work in our lives today. For those of us in marriage, think about it, how it would even work in our marriages. Right now, Barna, who does a lot of statistical things, Barna says that 33% of all first-time marriages are ending in divorce. So for that first-time marriage, a third of those end in divorce. Over 60% of second-time marriages end in divorce. For those married three times or more, over 90% chance of divorce. Another alarming statistic says that 45% of all women, 55% of all men, so basically 50%, either have had or currently involved in or will have an affair by the age of 40. Now those are alarming enough in just the statistics, but what's more alarming in my mind, and I hope yours as well, 
is these numbers are no different inside the church and outside the church. Barna says we are divorcing at the same rate inside the church, church members, church folk, as people that are outside the church. We're having affairs at the same rate. Basically, the morality in the church today is not a whole lot different than the morality outside the church. But what if we, in our marriages, decide to be different? What if instead of divorce, we choose to work it out and stick it out no matter how long it takes? Everybody at work is telling us, hey, you deserve somebody that's going to treat you right. Christians are telling us, you deserve better. God wants you to be happy. Can I tell you something? God wants us to be holy. What if we decided to honor our covenants of till death do we part instead of calling it quits as fast as those that are not in Christ? Gentlemen, in Ephesians 5.25 the Apostle Paul tells us to love our wives as Christ does the church. This means that we are to love our wives unconditionally. Christ loves the church unconditionally. And so for husbands, he's calling for us to love our wives unconditionally. No matter what. No matter how much she nags. No matter how much she shows disrespect. No matter how much she goes to TJ Maxx and, and runs up the credit card. He says, no matter, what, no matter how she looks or how he looks 20 years later after you said I did. He says, love them unconditionally. And you, in my mind, I, that's really the easy part. I can figure out, I can do that, I can love unconditionally. But Paul goes on when he's talking to the Ephesians and to the husbands right here. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ does the church. And then he throws in a conjunction. He says, and. Love your wives as Christ does the church and gave himself up for her. Men, we are called to love not only unconditionally but sacrificially as well. Basically, when we said our vows on that wedding day, we didn't just say, I do. We literally, as a Christian man, we said, I die. I die to Paul. I die to the things that Paul wants. I die to the selfish things that I desire. I die to the things that I want to do, my hobbies, my plans, my career aspirations, my hopes, my dreams. I die to all of those for a daughter of the king. In marriage, when we choose to love each other like this, guys, it baffles the world. It tells, it tells the world that we're something different. 
something is not right here in their mind. Why would somebody continue to love her or love him when he treats her that way or when he acts that way or when she does those things? But by loving like Christ in a way they don't understand, we paint literally a picture of the gospel. And therefore we become that perfect witness. To be honest with you guys, I don't know how I would have reacted to the thief that was on my bicycle. I want to be all holy and say that I would have done, been full of grace and treated him maybe even the way that I mentioned earlier. But I don't know. I don't know how I would have reacted. But I can tell you this, that even if I had taken my bicycle back, but not had him prosecuted, I would have had an audience with that guy. Not only would I have had an audience with that guy, I would have had an audience with the police officer. And people would have been telling that story for a long time, right? Because it didn't make sense. Why would a guy do that? Why would he love that way? Why would he show grace that way? Guys, we need to be different. We need to baffle the minds of unbelievers. Everything about Christianity is upside down. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to forgive. The world tells us to revenge, right? Everything about Christianity is upside down. It's backwards. And when we start living that way, people are drawn to that. See, we need to go that extra mile when someone has asked us to only go one. I need to give them my coat when they've stolen my shirt. We need to show the world that Christ loves them through our actions. My fear today is that we don't really love like this, though. That many of us can't love this way. My fear is that we can't love this way because I don't fully or we don't fully know how much God loves us. And the fact is, if we don't have the Holy Spirit living in us, there's no way we can love some people. You know, Paul told the Galatians, chapter 5, he says, walk in the Spirit not in the flesh. Therefore you, won't desire, um, therefore, you won't live out those desires of the flesh. See, my flesh is not to love people that are not like me. My flesh finds it difficult to love someone that doesn't look like me, act like me, smell like me, grow up like me. It's my flesh. Be told to Galatians, instead of living in your flesh and walking in that flesh, walk in the Spirit. So for the only way for you, for you or I to be able to love somebody that way is the Spirit has to love through us. And when that's impossible, the only thing that makes sense at that point is, is our salvation is not there. The Holy Spirit's not living in us. So maybe you're finding it difficult to love people. 
Maybe there's people that you cannot get past. The Bible says they'll know you by your fruit. If you don't have that fruit in your life, maybe, maybe, your, maybe your salvation is not right. Maybe you have not chosen to surrender and follow Christ. Guys, the only way we can love people that way is allowing the Holy Spirit to love through us. And He has to live inside of us. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we just come before you right now. Lord, I know that there's people in here right now that are struggling with maybe some of the things that we talked about. God, I struggle with them. God, there's people that I struggle loving. I can't even hardly be friends with them, much less love them. Lord, how do, how do I do that? Would you show us how to do that, God? God, would you change our hearts? Would you change the things that we care about? God, would you give us your eyes? to see those who need that love. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, there's some of you that I just mentioned just a moment ago. You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's because you've never surrendered to Christ. You've never said, I surrender all to Him. You may believe in him, but you've never surrendered. Guys, you can go today from this place having confidence, knowing that you've done that. Today, you can do that. Today, you can have that confidence that when you die, that you're going to be in heaven with him eternally. Maybe that's you. You know, I grew up in the Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, and we would ask people to come forward right now. But instead of coming forward right now, I want you, if this is you, that's you, you're ready to surrender your life to Christ. If this is you, I want you just to raise your hand right now. Would you raise your hand? See one over here? You got one in the middle. For those of you that raise your hand, raise them up high. Got a couple over here. Right now, what's going on is everybody still got their heads bowed. You've got your hands raised. You're saying, this, I'm ready for you to take hold of my life. We've got a prayer person. We, somebody on our prayer team is going to come by, and they're going to ask you to walk with them, and they're going to take you to a prayer room. And they're going to share with you how you can make this decision, how you can do this today. Did we miss anybody? Is there any other hands? Got one? Got one right here? I need two prayer team people. John. Ryan, did we get somebody back here? Okay. Amen. Hey guys, God's doing a work right now.
for you guys that are stepping out, I want you to know that there's people all around this room praying for you right now. And they're praising God for what's going on. Hey, for those of you that are still here, there's two of you, there's two different people in here right now. There's one that says, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to surrender my life yet. I still need time. Hey, God's going to keep knocking. So you be ready. The other person that's in this room is the Christian. You're the one who has surrendered your life. And you've chosen to follow him. You're the one that I'm telling today that God's called you to love the people of this area in a different way. Okay? So what I want us to do right now, we've got a little, a little bit of time. I want you, we're just going to spend three or four minutes. We're going to have a prayer time. We're, going to, we're just going to make this an altar down here up front. And I want you, if you feel like that God's speaking to you, maybe he's telling you that you need to pray for somebody specific, and you'd like to come down and pray right now at the altar. We're opening up this altar. So we're going to spend about three or four minutes to stay in prayer. I want you to be asking, God, who, who is it in my life that I need to be praying for right now? Who do I need to love? So come on down if you'd like.